0: Welcome in to another edition of R.J. Bell's Dream Preview, European Soccer Betting Edition, episode number six. I'm joined by my man, Griffin Warner, no longer undefeated, but still 3-1 on the season, some strong analysis each and every week. How are you feeling, my man, Griffin?
1: Ah, uh, man, not great. Um, I, you know, I, we'll get to your best bet in a little bit, but um, didn't, I mean, it's hard because... I felt like I made a bet that I'm going to make a lot of times. Uh, So I I bet Nottingham Forest plus one and a quarter goals at home against Tottenham Hotspur. And I really felt like if I had known Harry Kane was going to score in the fifth minute, I probably wouldn't have wanted that bet. But the rest of the game, it was like exactly how I wanted it to go. Uh, Tottenham sat in the defensive half, which was like even way more conservative than I would have expected. Maybe that early goal helped, but I think they started from the beginning in that type of format and basically were like daring Nottingham Forest to try to like cut them apart and score. Uh, Forest, they played a really weird lineup, but I thought that they were they did that because they didn't know that Tottenham were going to be so conservative. Um, I don't think it should have been shocking, but definitely would have been a surprise to their, the Nottingham Forest manager. Um, but they had a ton of the possession. You said it was 55% checked right before the show. I would expect it to have been like 65 or higher. Uh, But Nottingham Forest were trying their best. They uh, were shown that they have very slow center backs and like running with Tottenham Hotspur is just never going to happen. But also they hung in and gave up a a late goal for the add-on to crush my bet and unfortunately crush my uh, undefeated streak. But um, it's honestly a bet I think I would make again, knowing all the circumstances. I mean, I wish Nottingham Forest had the ability to score. I don't know that they were really ever that close Um, Like didn't miss a penalty or anything too bad. Uh, They actually saved a Tottenham penalty. So maybe I was a little bit on my ninth life as a, as a kitty cat or whatever, but uh, it's a loss and uh, I'm disappointed, but I'm looking forward to getting back on the, uh, on the horse.
0: Me too, my friend, we are now five, one and two as a podcast. So two pushes, one loss, but five wins. Pretty good. I'm Proud of. Yeah, pretty good. That pays the bills. So we'll keep it going. I had one of those pushes, crystal palace, It was not. It was not a fun experience, but it's better than a loss. In my, I mean, obviously, plus two looked good when we were up two goals in the first half. Yeah, we had we had uh, we had five goals to give before we 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 would have a loser. But in the second half, Man City went from zero goals the first time they played Crystal Palace is Patrick Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace zero goals the second game they played Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace and then zero goals in the first half. So five halves had gone by where Pep Guardiola's squad had scored nothing, had had zero success against Crystal Palace. So I'm like, okay, as long as they don't give up four, I'll be walking to the window. didn't happen. They gave up four, probably could have scored more. And you mentioned your bet. I mean, the possession and the strategy, it all seemed to be what you expected. I don't think I would make this bet again. The second half, I don't know what turned the key. But it looked like they were gonna score at almost every time they had the ball. It was it was scary. And Erling Haland, who I said I don't know if he's really the type to fit into <laughs> let me just throw all of that out the window. He had another hat trick today as we record on on Wednesday. So two in the span of his first five games, two in the span of four days. And just the second or the you know his third goal was was the stuff of legend. I mean it's a break. Two people on him. Doesn't have much space. He's holding one off with his right arm. He's outrunning the second guy. Two touches around the keeper like it was easy when it was anything but. So he might be the best player in the world at this point already. You know, I mean, Fat Ronaldo, uh, Ronaldo of Brazil, at about 18-19, scored like 50 goals for Barcelona. And people still talk about that year where it was just like something else. Something that we hadn't seen. And... Injuries and different things made it so Ronaldo wasn't didn't have the same kind of career as Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. But you talk to people from back in the day, they said we had never seen anybody better. And it reminds me of those old tapes where it's just he is a different beast. And I didn't properly account for that in my handicap. And Nottingham, he scored three again in the first 30 minutes against Nottingham today. It's just not a train uh, unless I have a solid defense that I think can 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 keep parody where it doesn't look like, like a men event children when he's on the, when he's on the break. Uh, I do not want to be betting against man city uh, anytime soon because of that.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I joined, jumped on the train with you, uh, even though Wilfred Zah wasn't in the lineup and that worried me a little bit. Uh, I thought he was going to get transferred out to another team, but I don't think that's happened yet. Um, But anyway, I mean, I was riding there with you at two goals up. I got a text from a friend. It was like, Oh, great. Great Crystal Palace bet. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. We good. got a long, long way <laughs> to go. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think that if we went into that match, we expected if, if we gave up four goals that we would have pushed. So maybe he was fortunate. But um, that's the thing. Erling Holland, like, and what I think he's shown, he's not the best to staying healthy, but that's because he gets fouled all the time. And the problem is he's lightning fast, like way faster than you would think. He's also, I think, six foot four um and he's on like the best team in the world and i it might be like the days are numbered of times they say dogs don't last a long time running on train tracks and uh, i feel like a dog right now and i'm gonna try (laughs) to stay away from that man city train track i I know we're gonna get into this a little bit later um as we talk about some some kind of big big defeats and kind of what that says about the state of, of football right now um but just to finish on crystal palace and i think I mean, up two nil. I felt pretty good, uh, as my friend did as well. But and I'm sure you did too. But okay, it's just okay. one of those things where City. I mean, they went through five halves of not scoring against Crystal Palace. Maybe they were due. Um, but it's almost like once the dam breaks, I swear. Once there's a little puncture, um, I don't know if it's the heads drop because at two one, Crystal Palace are still in a great position. Problem is, once it got to two two, and they went behind three two. Uh, Patrick Vieira kind of threw defense to the wind and was like, well, it doesn't help me. I'm not trying to cover a spread by losing 3-2. I got zero points from that, and that does nothing for our team. So he brought on Jean-Philippe Mateta, who's not a defender. He's just a giant. And uh, I think he he tried hard, but uh, that doesn't really work when you're playing uh, the best team in
0: the world. In basketball and football, college and pro, almost invariably, almost all the time, when you bet an underdog, the one, one of the things you have in your favor is that the motivation of the team aligns with your own motivation throughout the whole 48 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever, what, what may have you, because you want the underdog always wants to keep it close. They always want to come back if they're down 30 in any sport, football, basketball, and if it's tight, they, all, they always want to do their best. Soccer might be the one exception where Crystal Palace's motivation at two. 0 oh, looks great. Packing the paint, slowing down the game. You know, staying down on fouls, just trying to get to the ninety-minute mark. All that aligns with my motive, with what I want as a better. As soon as it was two-two, or actually, maybe once they went to three-two, even when it was two-two, it looked way more open as a game, and I just felt very little confidence that they could hang in that kind of atmosphere. And yeah, when they were down three-two, I, I was thinking a push would be lucky because they were sending they were sending troops down the other way, and they saw it on the fourth goal. You you, you, need, you needed. Two guys were on Holland, and he scored easily. They needed three or four uh, behind him already when that play started, and it didn't happen. Uh, You mentioned it. Man City carries on their four-goal performance, 4-2 win versus Crystal Palace, pushing our bets, unfortunately. They end that week with a 6-0 today, Wednesday, against Nottingham Forest. Not really that close. It was 3-0 after 30-minute mark. And this is a theme. A lot of times people have been saying the Premier League is kind of the exception to this where where Bayern Munich is up 7-1, but okay, they're the only team to have won the Bundesliga in like 12 years. I think I think 11 years since 2010. Okay, P- PSG, all right, they have three of the greatest players in the world. They're in a smaller league. They can win 7-1. That makes sense. That tracks with what I understand about soccer and competition. When Liverpool and Man City win nine zero then six zero then four two it's showing that it's not just these smaller leagues that this is happening in there is a clear separation from top 20 clubs in the world and everybody else and that seems to have gotten wider in recent days but really in recent years we've seen this uh what do you make of that do you think there's a fundamental change or is this just uh you know we just happen to see a lot of goals in one week just a coincidence. Uh, it does seem to me like there's a fundamental shift that's happening. Uh, I would not call it a coincidence. No, I
1: think the pandemic has had a, a huge impact on a lot of uh clubs, unfortunately. And I think it's really made the rich richer, um, as well as the amount of money that they are taking in, not only from um, their own successes, success stories or whatever, but Champions League football and European competitions just pay a ton. And I think that really matters. Um, unfortunately, it as an underdog player, it is really hard for me to avoid things, but I, we were talking before the show that I'm uh, not in getting two and three quarter goals today. Like that's a monster number and it's really hard to beat anybody by three goals. Um, but that's also a situation where I'm like trying my best to avoid because those situations you're basically stressed the whole time. You're like when the dam breaks, it's going to get really ugly and you got to hope it doesn't happen until like the 85th minute. Um, cause I took a pretty bad loss today in France where I was tied through 89 minutes and then a plus one didn't even cover. So, or push either. So unfortunately, yeah. Um, it happens though. And I guess I just need to not spike my phone in the middle of the office, but, um, I mean, just things you got to be prepared for. And, uh, Unfortunately, the gaps not getting any smaller. Like a lot of clubs, especially the bottom of these leagues, are broke essentially. Like they get in, like France. Basically, part of why PSG is so much better than everyone, they keep buying all these players is because they're on they're cheap, they're discounted, they're on sale. Um, PSG is making a ton of money in Champions League. The French league is is so poor right now. They like they're essentially their TV rights deal basically expired because uh, some they whoever had it went bankrupt essentially. And so they had to redo this new one last minute and that's really affected. And and honestly, the league's dropping from 20 teams to 18 teams this year because they're relegating four and only promoting two because they have not enough money to split up amongst the clubs. And it's been really tough to watch, especially because there's a lot of, I think strength in the French football league that no one thinks about anymore because it looks so terrible at times and PSG throttle teams. But I think I'm, starting to pick out teams that I'd really, unless they're playing someone who's really good, has a huge motivational advantage or like has some ability to keep this team quiet. I just feel like the PSGs, the man cities, the Bayern Munich's of the world are just, um, I don't want to be against them as, as, as much as I can really
0: it's, it's against an equal team in champions league. That's the only thing I time I can think about doing it. And thank God for the champions league that we get to see those equal matchups with some of these juggernauts and, I said top twenty is the separation. Maybe it's not even that. I mean, you look at Chelsea struggling, Arsenal—they've done really well. They're five and zero after today. But uh, you know, I was looking at the last year's FIFA ratings. The new ones are about to come out, but they only had they had zero players in the top one hundred. Arsenal, so they—they're a young, up-and-coming crew. They're not Man City. They're not Bayern Munich. So maybe it's more of the top five that's really separating from the pack. Uh, we're a betting show, and we're going to talk. You know, more bettings and angles, but uh, let me ask you a question to pontificate on something, uh, you know, outside of the betting realm. The Super League, the European Super League has been long proposed and almost came to fruition not too long ago, a couple years ago. Uh, The idea was they're not getting games. Man City's not really getting good games with the kind of talent. I mean, they got better in the offseason. Liverpool got better in the offseason. Their competition did not relatively so that's the argument. Nobody liked it. It seemed there was protests in the street from Birmingham to uh, Minsk, you know, to, to Rio to Mexico City. Everyone hated it. I don't know why Mexico City would be involved in the European Super, Super League, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? It was universally despised. The theory makes sense to me, and maybe because I'm coming from it from an outside perspective, a guy that uh, you know wants to see less teams in the NFL and the NBA to have more competition. But the European Super League, where I'm going to take chelsea man city liverpool p s g Roma Milan, all those type teams and get them to play each other every week. what's the downside why are, why why is the momentum obviously against such a move by most people i mean it's it's a really American
1: idea um wouldn't be shocked if there's a bunch of American private equity firms involved in that idea um but I'm part of the I think why I really am into. Soccer, all of a sudden, um, I've been following it my whole life. Used to play it growing up, but never really watched the club stuff until I really kind of took a deep dive into it and figured out what it's all about. Um, it's all about earning where you are. You have to earn your way into the Champions League. If you have to earn your way into the Europa League, into any European football. Um, nothing is given to you. And the fact that you can't tank and get a number one pick to then change your franchise around grabbing a, a franchise quarterback from the University of Texas or something like that. Not that that's a realistic scenario, but just hoping, praying. Um, whereas in these these other leagues, I mean, honestly, Man City could like go down if they had a really awful year. I mean, they're they're the best team, I think, in in the world. But if they were really bad and had an awful season, had a ton of injuries, and I mean, it's not realistic, but they could be relegated to the, the championship, the second division in England. Um, whereas the Cincinnati Bengals tanked, drafted Jamar Chase and, and Joe Burrow, and now they went to the Super Bowl kind of unexpectedly, but are now viewed as one of the best teams in the NFL. And I feel like that's something that we can't really do. And that's what I, I think why people were so mad about the Super League, even players on those teams. Um, I think they felt like they'd be cheating the system a little bit.
0: I like that answer a lot. That, that really clarified for me because it seemed like a bad idea. And I think it crystallized it because it's an American idea. And my problem with most of the leagues, like the NBA, my, my passion, my my sport, is that it's not doing what European soccer does, which is having a vast variety of types of games where you have Man City go into like Oxford, you know, an FA Cup game, and, and you get this, you get this tremendous kind of dichotomy where the the Bengals or the Texans in a few years, it doesn't really matter how good they are this year. There's no trajectory of the franchise, which is a really cool aspect of European soccer. So I tend to agree with you. I also think that the, what you said, earning where you are uh, has a lot of resonance with me. And uh, there's, I mean, teams have won. Nottingham forest won the European cup they won the champions league essentially back when it was before it was called the champions league. And then they, then they were relegated for 20 years and they had to get the right people in charge and the right manager. And now they're back in the prime time. That's pretty cool. That's, that's a real, I mean, that's like generations talking to their kids. Like, man, when I was young, this club used to go down the street, we would play Milan and we would win. Like you could tell that. And, and that's history. And that's what that's real. That's, that's a difference that I don't want European soccer to lose. If anything, uh I'd say, especially with the multiple types of cups and uh, having bigger squads, it just seems like a better overall competitive spirit. Uh, Having the the minnows play, play the juggernauts it's 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 because of that either side can, can change and be the other one, you know, in 10 years, 15 years time, it, it creates an interesting dynamic that, uh, that I want to lose. Speaking of different competitions, we talked about some of these huge wins, Man City, 6-0. zero Liverpool got a, got a manager sacked nine0 will do that to Bournemouth and Scotty Parker uh, was never close from the beginning it's gonna be interesting I mean this is we've been all talking about domestic soccer last week we pre- we previewed the Champions League as the FA Cup gets going as the caribou cup gets going uh, how do these teams what are the best practices for these teams negotiating? how to play their best players, when to be the, play their best players, to optimize their chance, as they say in Europe, to win trophies, to win silverware. So we say this with Champions
1: League starting next week, and uh, I'm not sure exactly if we have plans to have Champions League episodes. I would love them, but um, certainly, and we'll be doing best bets end of the show as always. But um, in terms of what I've seen over the last couple of years is that um, the smaller clubs, just they're, the biggest difference between Liverpool and – uh Bournemouth let's say um is not really I mean there's tons of talent differences but there's almost there's also so much depth uh in the Liverpool side where they're too deep essentially at every position better than Bournemouth so the problem is Bournemouth don't they have one basically starting lineup and then when they get tired which if they defend the whole game it's way more tiring than passing a ball around um they basically run out of gas and then Liverpool essentially chops and changes puts their same level of attacker, maybe a little bit of downgrade from somebody to somebody else, but ultimately now they're tired going against these fresh legs and have to battle against that, and that's that's one of the hardest things. I do think there's plenty of overlap, and and when you're playing two matches a week, when your opponents are playing one, in that case, where the next time Liverpool probably will have a Champions League match in the middle of the week and then play uh, Bournemouth on the weekend, that's a time where there might be some legs, some tired legs on on the Liverpool side. Uh, but ultimately, they're still so much better that they can kind of play those backups and then um, start them, and then bring on their their best players at the end with fresh legs and the same type of situation against tired legs. So um, one thing that I've been looking for and trying to kind of pick out are teams that really don't deserve to be in. I mean, you earn your way into the European competitions, but there are plenty of clubs um, like one I follow pretty closely in Germany called Sport Club Freiburg, and they unfortunately or fortunately they had a great year last year made it into the Europa League but they're a selling club that is known for um basically building players up getting youth teams growing them into assets and then giving them away uh for 25 million dollars and essentially starting that process all over again um those are the teams that really don't have the depth I mean Freiburg is one of them an exception where they have a lot of kind of interchangeable pieces. And I think that's been an important part of their success recently, but trying to find teams that just have one real lineup. It happened to union Berlin last year, who are a great team, uh, but crashed out of the conference league. Um, couldn't even make it to knockout rounds after. And despite that, having a good season that got them into European competition. So um, that's something that you see with the smaller clubs. I think the bigger teams, um, as we can see with this transfer window, they just keep adding players over and over again. They've got a lot of talent and they keep adding to it because they have the money to do it. Whether that's going to make them profitable is I think another conversation, but um, that's something I think we need to be prepared for um, and expect some rotation potentially in starting lineups for teams that have a big match. Like when PSG played, played Juventus uh, midweek, they might end up taking the the weekend match against longs a little bit easier or something like that. So those are things to watch out for. I think with smaller clubs and especially because we have the mid midweek wa- midweek matches, easy for me to say this week. Um, a lot of the English teams have to play three times in, in like a, a two week in a two-game span of what's normal to them. Same thing happens in Italy and also in France. So those smaller clubs are ones that you want to, I think, avoid as much as you can because their
0: legs are gonna be zapped and they don't have the backups that these big clubs do. I think a cool aspect of that is you can show off and show out as a, as a backup for one of these huge clubs and end up being a regular. Like I remember Fred Van Vliet in 2019 was, was an autoplay. If, if Kyle Lowry was out and Fred Van Vliet was in talking about the NBA. Now Kyle, Fred Van Vliet just played better than his starter. And four years later, now that Fred Van Vliet's been an all-star we can say maybe he was better and we just didn't know it yet. There's only one way it wasn't going to happen in the NBA because he wasn't going to get a playing time to really show that difference but a uh, guy like Phil Foden got a lot of time for Man City before he was a regular starter in those cups, and you could see him just excel and, and become a regular. You talk about transfers, some of these bigger clubs uh, bolstering their rosters for the, uh, for the you know, meat of their season. Wanted to ask you about Manchester United. Uh, hadn't, hadn't prepped you on this, but, uh, or we hadn't talked about it before the show, but two things happened. They added Anthony, Anthony, from uh, uh from Ajax, Eric Ten got, got his guy and they kept Ronaldo, which was a surprise. It seemed to me it's kinda like a Kevin Durant situation where he didn't want to be there, but no one else wanted him bad enough to really make it worth that club's uh while to get rid of him. So uh how do you think that whole situation shakes out the disgruntled Ronaldo and do you think Anthony can uh can correct some of the um uh, some of the problems Man U has had so far this season? Uh, can't say I know a ton about him,
1: but um, I do know who he is. And I know that he played for Ajax and Ten Hag was essentially trying to make it uh, Ajax United at this point. Um, I don't know, especially after watching Ajax dominate their group in the Champions League last year, though it was a pretty easy one um, and then crash out of the Champions League knockout rounds in the first, first round, essentially the round of 16 that worried me coming into the year. And, and I think, I'm still in a position where Eric Hogg has to prove it. They had a nice win this past weekend against Southampton, but um, I did have Southampton for uh, all, I guess, to take the bias out of it, or to, I guess to announce that I have some of it, but Manchester United were not impressive to me. Um, they, I mean, took a really good chance from Bruno Fernandes to, to score the, the goal-ahead goal and then ended up holding up, but that was not a Manchester United dominant performance. Southampton is one of the worst teams in the league, so... Um, I'm still not a believer. They spent a ton of money on a player that wasn't worth his value. So just if you believe in the efficient markets, that was a a dumb move. Good for Ajax. They've unfortunately sold so many players, but they did just bring in a pretty good asset from Sevilla. Um, But staying with Manchester United, I mean, they're a popular team. Everyone loves them. They get bet far more than I think they should. And there's a lot of value going against them. So I'm looking forward to being against Manchester United until Eric Ten Hag proves that he's, uh,
0: capable of more than just swearing on a talk show after the game. You mentioned their 1-0 win, Manchester United, over Southampton. Uh, and you said it wasn't that impressive. Well, expected goals from Underset, their version of it, very much agrees with you. They say Southampton should have won, uh, barely, but they were better than Manchester United. I mean, when you have Bruno Fernandes, maybe that's you know a feather in your cap. You get some of those wins because it was an excellent finish, uh, something that probably a Southampton player misses. But still, on the balance of the game, That 1-0 win, their second on the trot, uh, was not that impressive. And they beat Liverpool uh, at a low point, but I'm not optimistic about Man United either. In fact, uh, if you're listening to this, it's probably – if you're listening to it early, releasing this probably right before this game or right as this game is happening, so I won't make it a bet. Um, But I was leaning towards Leicester, not because I like Leicester in any way, shape, or form. All their numbers, all their performances have been underwhelming, but – I do think this United team off two wins is not as good as uh, as the market is predicting, and they were about uh, a half goal favorite on the road versus Leicester. And you said, "Well, Leicester's you know getting rid of everybody on their team. I wouldn't really back them." Maybe so. Um, the line has moved closer to Pickham, which is what uh, which is what my numbers make it. Uh, so happy about that. Happy to get a little bit of line movement on a bet I didn't make. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Manchester United is probably a fade target because they get so much public money. That kind of oh, they won two games in a row. They're back. They're the Manchester United, biggest club in the world. When uh, they're probably like the the thirtieth or fortieth team in Europe, best team in Europe at this moment in time. As a University of Texas alum, uh,
1: the we're back stuff. I mean, one of my good <laughs> friends is a Manchester United, <laughs> United fan and a UT alum, and. I mean, it's basically the same story. It's the Spider-Man meme of, of Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man.
0: <laughs> man, I, I you might that might be the only time I've ever heard of a man U U T combo fan, combo devotee. That's that's a rare that's a rare combination. Don't
1: ask, don't ask. I probably if if some of my friends are listening, they're going to go nuts and probably tell me I shouldn't give them any, uh, any public credit. But there we go,
0: Garrett. There well, let you. me ask you this: What's your best bet? Let's get into it. But before we do. Let me save you a little bit of money. Promo code. Use it at pregame.com. Pitch 20. How do you save money with a promo code? Well, you go to pregame.com. There you will find expert picks from yours truly, Griffin Warner, my friend here, as well as Steve Fezzik, one of the only guys. In fact, let me think about it. Yeah, he's the only guy to ever win the Hilton formerly, the Westgate formerly Hilton Super contest, not once, but twice. The only guy to ever do it. He sells football picks. He sells it only at pregame.com. You can get them there. You can save 20% off anything. A subscription, a play with the code PITCH20. P-I-T-C-H-2-0. That's the promo code. Please use it at pregame.com. Let us know. Let them know that you've been listening to the show and you appreciate us. Now, without further ado, Griffin Warner, you are 3-1. and You are carrying... An excellent record we have as a pod, 75% hit rate. How are you going to keep it going this weekend? What are you betting? Well, thank you for that introduction.
1: And uh, if you want to go through each of the matches, I try to do that on my own podcast called Betting the Pitch. Uh, Check me out wherever you check podcasts out. Um, I'm going to go to Germany. I'm not sure I've given a a play from there yet. Um, It's hard for me to keep them all straight, but I'm not sure that I have, and I'm ready to go. Uh, On Friday, actually, we have Borussia Dortmund hosting TSG Hoffenheim. Currently, Dortmund a minus one favorite. Um, I'm watching this one because I want to make sure I get that uh, safety valve right there. But uh, Borussia Dortmund, they have had a pretty bad defense for a couple seasons now. It was historically bad last year. Um, They did some business to try to improve that this season, but it hasn't really worked just yet. They haven't been able to get um, some of their signings into the starting lineup. They're still playing. An older player that was so bad last year, I'm surprised he's still preferred, but it's one of those things where until that's fixed, I'm not a believer. On the other hand, Hoffenheim come on the road. They've had certainly some some road woes over the past couple seasons, but it got one of their, man, their manager last season sacked, who looked like kind of a bright, younger type of manager. Um, they brought in a new guy who had pretty good... Uh, a good resume coming in, and what they most importantly did was added to a squad that was already really strong at scoring goals. I feel like um, they did lose uh, David Rahm, who's likely going to start for Germany in the, in the World Cup this November, um, but they replaced him with a great German player and plays the same position And Angelino, formerly uh, from a Manchester City organization, um, was on loan at Leipzig, and I think they bought him, and then eventually they essentially did a player swap um, with Rahm going to Leipzig. But Hoffenheim, I think they can play any type of game here, and they have so much firepower in their offense that I think they can keep up with Dortmund, but I also think they could take a lead, which if you can take a team that is getting a goal and could take a lead, puts you in a really good si- situation to at least get out of there with a push. So I'm going to give TSG Hoffenheim plus one uh, out to the people right now is my best bet for this week.
0: Dortmund's an interesting team I've been keeping an eye on. What do you make of their interim or... Part time or caretaker manager who took over last May, Eden Terzic, and what do you think that says about where this club is right now in their in their trajectory? So he's been
1: around the club for a long time. Supposedly he's like a Dortmund lifer, and I I mean he he was there as a caretaker manager when they let Lucien Favre go a couple of seasons ago, who's now the manager at Nice, um, which is not going very well. So maybe it wasn't Dortmund's fault; might have been his. Uh, but anyway, Terzic is. Um, he he won the DFB Pokal, the German Cup tournament, um, in his first season, and then I guess in his when well, I mean, he was a caretaker manager, and then went back into kind of a player personnel type of position when they brought in Marco Russa for last season, which didn't go great, and then ended up moving him on, giving him the job. Long story short, um, he seems like a team guy, uh, like one of those lifers that is kind of what the club wants, especially as they're trying to kind of go through a new period without Erling Holland, but. Um, they're still a team that uh, I think can score a lot of goals, uh, but defense is a big question for them. And uh, the problem with them needing to score goals to cover spreads like an entire full goal is that they don't have really Holland anymore to rely upon. And I feel like he bailed them out a lot of times and was really such an important thing that you had to focus on defensively against Dortmund. It made everyone so much better. And uh, I feel like they're going to have a tough time trying to get to the point where they wanted to be um, moving him on.
0: Yeah, that's what I kind of kind of felt from, from 10,000 feet away, that replacing Erlen Herlan meant let's just reset everything. If we're doing that, we don't want to have our have a new manager in here that might work, might not work. Let's uh, get a little bit of a foundation, get some new players, get an identity, and then see who can optimize that. So it should be an interesting thing going forward. But right now, we don't think it's going to be clicking on all cylinders. So Hoffingham plus one is a, is a bet that makes sense to me. For my best bet, I pushed last week. I'm not going to push on this one. I'm going to take Liverpool on the road at Everton. That's right, the Maryside Derby, and I am laying the lumber. I'm laying a goal and a quarter, so I can't push it. Got to win by two goals to cash this bet. Here's my thinking. I've had some skepticism about Liverpool. Sadio Mane was a big absence, and they had to they had to reorganize. They had to rethink about what was going to work for that team. I think they've done that. I think after the humiliating loss at Old Trafford, they've really turned the corner uh, with some of their play play selection. Firmino coming back, Henderson starting in the middle of the pitch where he's used to and accustomed to, Salah looking more like himself. And, yeah, they killed Bournemouth, one of the worst teams in the Premier League. But the second win, today's win at Newcastle, where they dominated on the stats, expected goals, possession, everything they should have won – 2-3-0, 2-3-0, two, two, but they didn't. They were trailing late into this game, and then it was tied, and then they got the winner in the 98th minute. And I think that kind of thing, uh, that kind of narrow escape, especially because the performance was so good, combined with Bournemouth the week before, this team is on the ascension. This team no longer um, you know, isn't out of it in the Premier League in their minds, and their feeling, and with those two wins backing them up They're going in that direction. On the other side of the coin, I think Everton, the only reason this line is close is because of Everton's been, you know, right behind the big six clubs for 20 years. I think none of their stats, none of their players, nothing on paper. I mean, this is the reason why you thought they were going to be relegated at plus 450. That was a good value. None of it's showing up to the results. I think this is a legacy brand that's saying, okay, well, it's, you know, Liverpool versus Everton. That's never, that's never a blowout. They're always in it. I think this is closer to liverpool Bournemouth than it is to Liverpool-Everton like we're used to seeing it. And the numbers say so. I look at 538 global soccer rankings, and they put this as a a goal-and-a-half difference between the teams. No, I'm sorry. 1.8 goals of difference on a neutral. And a Liverpool team that's so accustomed to going to Everton, I might give... And I understand Everton has a great home crowd that's always going to be in it. I don't think Liverpool is very much phased by that at all. I might give them a quarter goal. I think would be generous to Everton. That still gives me more than a quarter goal of value if I believe five thirty eight numbers, which I do. If anything, and I've been tracking week by week how they how they perform, Everton's worse than their numbers coming into the season. If you thought five thirty eight was you know too optimistic on Everton, you would have been right up to this point in the season. On the other hand, I know Liverpool's been disappointing early. I think they have everything to max motivated Derby game look like Liverpool of old in this matchup. So I got to give two goals to win it. One goal will be a half push loss as far as we count it. But I don't see it being this close. We've talked about, started this pod talking about there's a separation from the top five clubs and everybody else. I don't think the Derby changes that. I think there's a separation that the 1.8 goal of difference that the 538 metrics say I think is much closer to accurate than the Vegas betting market. I think this is just because it's the Maryside Derby, just because it's a legacy of Everton-Liverpool that's usually close. I don't think it is in this case. So that's my best bet. Liverpool minus a goal and a quarter. I know you're usually a favorites uh, not better, usually a favorites fader and an underdog backer. So this isn't the kind of bet that you usually are accustomed to making, but what do you think of my handicap? What do you think of this play?
1: Um, I'm a little more concerned about the, uh, the crowd at the Merseyside ever than, than you are. But, um, I mean, I picked Everton as a relegation team from the beginning and they've done nothing to change that opinion of mine. Uh, and considering I think the window is still technically open for a few more hours if they sell some more assets. Cause I mean, Everton's broke and you never know if they're going to or not. Um, and until that window is closed, I mean, they can't win matches. And once you fall behind, that 1-0 uh, deficit turns into 2-0 a lot quicker than it turns into 1-1. And they will be going for it late. So you have the back door always open, which uh, is not – as an underdog player, that is a scary thing for me to say, but it's great uh, for a favorite. So I guess maybe a front door cover in that situation. still. But still, any type of door that's open, Liverpool can get through. Uh, and I'm starting to think that they're going to round into form eventually. I'm still not sure when that's going to happen, but they still, when they're healthy and they're firing, they're a scary team to bet against.
0: Anthony Gordon, the Everton striker, that actually did have a goal, one of the rare goals in Everton' season, uh, in their game against Leeds this past weekend. He very well could be on a different team by the time they're lacing it up. So that would be, uh, that would be great for this bet. Don't think I need that, though. I think kind of like the NFL, where analytics uh, – possession by possession tells you just to be more aggressive more often even when you're up that's how you ice games it's just easier to do it that way we've seen it in recent performances across europe i think we see it i don't think liverpool lets up if they're goal if their goal up or two i don't see it i think they keep rampaging so that's gonna be my best bet take liverpool against the spread griffin will be on hoffenheim underdog plus one at Borussia dortmund those will be our best bets thank you for attending Episode 6, R.J. Bell's Dream Preview European Soccer Betting Edition. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us, and we will see you next week.